Welcome to the YPAR podcast, a project of the Youth Research Lab at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. In the YPAR podcast, youth participatory action research practitioners discuss the ethical dimensions of conducting YPAR. In our podcast, we explore issues of co-leading YPAR projects, building relationships, power dynamics, and sharing our work together. The Youth Research Lab is located in Toronto on the traditional territories of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. always say back to them, you know, what are the relationships you have? Who are you in relation with? What are the conversations you're already engaging in? Welcome, everyone. My name's Naima, and I'm the host of the YPAR podcast. I'm currently a graduate assistant here at the Youth Research Lab. So I first came into YPAR as a high school student when I was frustrated by traditional schooling. Around me, I saw that teachers were seen as keepers of knowledge and that students were seen as passive recipients of knowledge. So, after graduating, I started working for my local school board in my hometown as the student voice coordinator, where we developed a project for administrators, teachers, and students to come together and conduct YPAR projects in order to take action on issues they saw within their schools. So, overall, I come from a background of wanting to use YPAR to support youth and particularly marginalized youth, and becoming critically conscious of their educational environments. And I think this is important because we know that schools are microcosms of the world. Okay, now enough about me. Joining us today will be Dr. Sarah Switzer, a YPAR practitioner and postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Ruben Gastambide Fernandez, a YPAR practitioner, a professor at the University of Toronto, and the director of the Youth Research Lab. Today's episode will be the first in a two-part conversation between Sarah and Ruben, where they'll be discussing ethical commitments and the politics of knowledge dissemination in YPAR. Together, they'll explore how do ethical commitments play out in different institutional settings? What are the opportunities, challenges, and tensions that arise? And how can we use YPAR as a means to not just increase youth participation, but as a means to enable social transformation? So before we jump in, a little bit of context. Sarah and Ruben have known each other for a while. While they bring similar ethical commitments to their YPAR projects, their work takes place in very different contexts. Ruben has been working in YPAR for about 10 years, largely with Indigenous and Latinx young people within the context of schooling, and particularly urban schooling. Sarah's work, on the other hand, takes place in the HIV or harm reduction sector. Sarah's been working in participatory research and YPAR for about 10 years, with a longer history of running youth-led HIV, sexual health, and harm reduction programs within settings such as community health centers, 
youth-led organizations, and youth-led initiatives. Her work involves working with young people living with or impacted by HIV and young people who use drugs. And of course, within this category, there are lots of different intersecting identities. Their conversation was recorded in two parts. The first part was recorded on Zoom, and the second was recorded here at the Youth Research Lab. The lab is a super fun, creative, and imaginative space, with chart papers and posters and markers scattered everywhere. So it's a pretty big contrast from the broodless architecture we find in Oise. Okay, so that's enough of an intro for me. Now let's turn it over to Sarah and Ruben. Why don't you just start uh, by giving, giving listeners a sense of the projects that you're working on? Sure. Thanks, Ruben. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't feel awkward at all. <laughs> not at all. Let's see how long it takes. Yeah. It's not awkward. Yeah, yeah. Um... My, my larger program of research is really about, um, or really kind of seeks to explore how to meaningfully engage uh, folks who experience marginalization in program and policy change. And what that kind of looks like in practice is historically, I've worked in the HIV and harm reduction sector. So I've worked with people living with HIV, folks who use drugs. Uh, young people living with or impacted by HIV. And so it's been a, a lot about having conversations with folks and within organizations about how do we leverage their experience within organizational change. And so together we um, identify issues of concern and we um, uh, develop projects together that we then implement. Uh, and one of the kind of cutting themes across all of my work is uh, they all involve participation or collaboration in some way. Participation is very much a spectrum. And they also engage in kind of forms of cultural production or, you know, what we might call, you know, the arts or other kind of creative ways of um, dialoguing about issues. Uh, and that's kind of my work historically. More recently, I've shifted my work to look at how community engaged practitioners are adapting their participatory work to in the context of COVID, how they're moving online and in remote contexts to have really critical conversations um, in ways that make sense for folks. Yeah. So Ruben, I'm Great. so curious. Um, yeah, tell me, uh, I mean, we've worked together for a number of years and, and mm -hmm. I know your work very well, but uh, since this is a podcast, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your work and what you're doing? Yeah, of course. So. Uh, the main focus of the work, the participatory research that I've been doing for the last decade has been in the context of schools, what, what some people would call school-based YPAR. And, and that's a really interesting context to work within because as a lot of uh, participatory research practitioners would say that, that schools are antithetical to, to the commitments and to the ethical commitments uh, of participatory research, right? Schools, when we think of schools, we think of places that are highly hierarchical, where where roles are very defined and prescribed, right? The teacher is the teacher, the teacher is the one who knows, the students are the students, they're the ones who are learning. Uh, and where everything kind of works within parameters that are very strict. And of course, that runs against the principles of of participatory research as a horizontal space where everybody's acknowledged as a knowledge producer, everybody's not acknowledged as a learner, and where we're kind of negotiating power relations. So, and uh, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I come into that work, into doing that relational ethical work sort of reluctantly uh, because of that, those contradictions. But in, in our case, our work 
with young people in schools began at the behest of the students themselves. So we, we started this work doing some exploratory research on the experiences of uh, Latinx, Latino, Latina youth uh, in schools. And, uh, and at the end of that year, the students themselves were saying, okay, so what are we doing next? What's gonna be the next, the next step of the project? And we, uh, it was at that point, and it was in the context of their own provocation that that we said to them, well, you know, if if you want us to keep doing this work, how about how about we teach you how to do research and you decide what should be researched? Uh, and and they were really excited about that idea, right? And and so our our work was possible because the young people themselves said to us, we want to keep doing this, we want to learn how to do this. Uh, and we we see, think of this as a kind of uh, political action uh, that we'd like to be able to pursue. So, so it was it was in a very particular context and a very kind of particular opportunity, right? Uh, and then also, I think the other the other piece about our work that, in a sense, uh, makes makes us navigating these contradictions possible is that, especially in the last five years, we've developed. A very a very deep collaboration with the educators at the Urban Indigenous Education Center, which is a part of the Toronto District School Board and which is itself a school. And it's a school that's very committed to notions of indigenous knowledge and, and indigenous uh, sovereignty of education. And so it's a school that in itself has a commitment uh, to a kind of education that is in a way antithetical to most types of schooling. And we've been working within that schooling space over the last few years and with teachers in that context. And because of that commitment, uh, that has also facilitated uh, a space where we can really challenge some of those hierarchies and we can really sort of work against uh, the, the sort of parameters of schooling and try to really honor the, the principles and the, and the political commitments of participatory research. Um, and I think along those lines, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested uh, to hear about and that I, I'd love to hear you think think through and, and talk about is, is this question about ethical commitments, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because for us, that has been such a tension. Uh, and and I, would love to, I would love to know and to hear from you, you know, what are, what are some of the ethical commitments that you bring to this work and how do you see, how do you see those ethical commitments play out in practice and, and sort of... Uh, what are the kinds of challenges that come up in your in your work? Mm. Mm. Thank you for that, Ruben, and and for starting with 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 your own work and the origins of your work. Um, I think you know something that kind of strikes me. I mean, it connects to to ethical commitments, um, but it's also the starting place. Is like it, it is the relationships, you know, and how projects come about. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you starting with with with, with the fact that you know that this project. There's so many starting foundational conversations before the research, you know, happens or takes place. And and you know, one thing I'm often uh, struck by, um, you know, at, in, in having conversations with folks um, that are interested in getting into participatory research is, you know, they often ask, you know, how do I start? Uh, and and I always say back to them, well, it's all about your, it, you know, what are the relationships you have? Who are you in relation with? What are the conversations you're already engaging in? And so with respect to commitments, I think that that's, that's one of the foundational pieces of, of, of YPAR, um, you know, and and what that looks like in practice, you know, there's, it's, it's messy, it's complicated, there are a lot of contradictions. And so, you know, 
figuring out ways to, to move through those relationships and move through the work with the spirit of trans, uh, you know, fairness, equity, collaboration, transparency. Um, I think transparency is one of the really, really big ones. Um, flexibility and, and, and adaptability and knowing that um, folks in any participatory project um, are in it for different reasons and that's okay. You know, and how do we honor the spirit um, or the role that uh, different folks bring to a project and the different expectations that they all bring to a project, um, which are deeply shaped and governed by the context. You know, I, I, one of the things I appreciated you raised is how the context of schooling shapes what is or is not possible within YPAR. And then how are you pushing against that even within the project itself? Um, yeah. Yeah. Pushing again and reaching towards, uh, mm, which is, you know, we're, we're in a sense, part of the reason why, working within schools for me is such an important commitment is because I believe in schooling. I believe in the principle of public schooling. And I think that our, our intention is to reach towards the kind of schooling that we want, right? Is to, is to bring these ethical commitments uh, to, in a sense, push against the parameters of school in order to reach towards the kind of schooling that we want, the kind of schooling that we want to imagine for for the young people that we work with, for the young people that we care about, for the young people whose lives we, we want to be part of transforming. And I say be part because obviously we're not in charge of transforming it. You know, it's their life to transform, but we want to be part of that transformation. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, the, the piece about the, the ethics, you know, the, the ethical commitment to, to relationality and transparency, you know, it's it's so important. And I think, you know, when when oftentimes when when people come with a question, you know, how do I get started? You know, how do I and, and this happens, you know, I get this question from doctoral students when who come in and you know with a lot of strong commitments. A lot of times people part from the premise that that what matters the most is the commitment. That what matters the most is well, I'm committed to this prince, I'm committed to this ethic, I'm committed to this to this political project and so therefore that's my point of departure and and for me actually the point of departure is their relationship not the commitment in mm -hmm. fact i think that their the relationships are far more difficult to build far more challenging and more time consuming uh and more important as a point of departure than the commitments because the commitments can come later but you can't start from the commitments <laughs> you know you can't you can't start from the commitments and then and then hope the relationships will come you have to start from the relationships and then build towards the commitments uh and i think that that sometimes is difficult for for many folks who i think uh discover ypar and 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 want to do that kind of work but they start from the commitment instead of the relationship yeah and so often I think within academic spaces, the commitments manifest through an academic language. And mm -hmm. a lot of the folks that I work with, like, they're like, I don't, I don't want your fancy words. Yeah, like, I don't right. care. You know, yeah, like, right. I don't care what your commitments are. I want to see, I want to see it in action. Right. Um, and, and that just takes time. You know, like, I, I think, you know, this is, this is discussed in kind of the literature, but like, I, can't, I don't think it can be um, overestimated that like relationship building takes time yeah. and it and it's all about it's, it's not even about the research it's about the other moments about the conversation mm. at the bus stop where you're waiting to get on the ttc you know in toronto or you know the the chat on the phone or the the conversation over sharing a meal um you know that is that is the work the showing up for you know um events in people's lives you know that you're in collaboration with 
Uh, I think that that's, you know, that's so much of it. Um, and then the, the research just come, kind of comes out of that because you're committed to being in relationship to each other. Um, you know, and I think about, you know, a lot of the young people that I've worked with, you know, we, we've worked together for, you know, some of them like almost a decade now, you know, and they're, they've gone on and they're leading their own YPAR projects, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, the, the relationships are really are really first and and foremost and and it's interesting to to this is just to circle back to what you're saying about transforming the culture of schools um i mean you and i work in very different contexts but there's a, a similarity in the sense that you know in the in working within the nonprofit um sector and you know, lots of folks will talk about the nonprofit industrial complex and there are many 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 tensions there mm-hmm. uh, and challenges with funding and larger histories of uh you know the nonprofit system being a very colonial institution, for example, um, a very racist and anti-black racist um, kind of sector. Um, and, um, and so one of the kind of commitments that's, um, or kind of push the pieces that we, that I think the projects that I'm invested in kind of working with, what we're trying to push towards is that, you know, we're also trying to carve out space within that, that sector, within that program so that, you know, folks can lead and create their own projects and spaces, which, which may have, you know, very liberatory goals and aims and, and also contradictions, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, trying to figure out how we can use YPAR, not in an instrumentalist way, but as a launching pad to something else. Um, yeah. Sarah and Ruben go on to continue their conversation at the Youth Research Lab. Even even as researchers, we can myself included can be very come very overly invested in our own projects and around this idea of like participation and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there being some yeah. star you know you you right. achieve right yeah. if a project is the most participatory right and there can be harm that can be caused for sure right yeah and there's so much that becomes invisible right oh, there's yeah. so many modes of participation that become invisible I mean in your own work. Uh, the way that you think about non-participation yeah. I think it's, it's I think of that when I think about all the modes of participation that are invisible to these parameters um, that inform these kind of normative practices of participation mm-hmm. but I was thinking about the difference right that you know I it would be there are a lot of people who work in schools who would like to think that they let me let me paraphrase that. There are a lot of people in education who bring commitments around participation to the work that they mm-hmm. do in schools. In principle, that that in principle would have sort of a, you know a commitment to the idea that that, that learning should be student centered, that students should be makers of curriculum, right? That that students should take center stage, that bring those principles in. Um, and I, I don't I, I don't doubt those principles, but mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that I would describe schooling as a context in which participation is taken for granted in the way that you're describing it. Perhaps in a sense because, you know, schooling as a structure is a is a is a is a structure that is intended to parse, is a structure that is intended to separate students by default. You know, it, even even grades are are a kind of separation. So it, it's is def, is this is defined on separation. And so in a sense, what is the consequence the worst consequence in the context of schools of not in- including students is that students leave, that students decide schooling is not for me. Mm-hmm. And certainly a lot of the students, you know, the reason why we started doing this work was to sort of address the fact that 
Latin American students and indigenous students uh, were not finishing school at a 40% rate, you know, mm-hmm. so 40% of students who started in, in not only indigenous and Latinx groups, but also in other communities, uh, were not finishing high school. Um, and that's a pretty high rate. Um, for something, you know, we could sort of, we could have a whole conversation about whether finishing school is worth it, you know, and, and what school does to young people. But the fact is that uh, not finishing high school is a very strong predictor of poverty. You yes. know? Yeah. Uh, and that not finishing high school is a very strong predictor of um, poor health, of poor socioeconomic, right? So, so however you slice it, finishing high school matters, you know? And, and so putting that question aside and, and assuming that we want to come up with ways to engage students in school so that they do finish high school, right? <laughs> um, uh, participation or these participatory methods become, from, from our perspective, one way to do that. And I, think, and I think in a lot of ways, probably our work speaks for itself. Like, you know, many of the students, most of the students that have been in our courses have been able to finish high school. We contribute to that because it helps them with credit accumulation. We contribute to that because we help them financially, right? And we can sort of talk about mm-hmm. these details. But I'm thinking about the difference, right, uh, between a place where, as you're describing, the people who have the most to lose are the ones demanding, as opposed to a context in which um, the ones who have the most to lose have, haven't even, haven't, you know, a lot, a lot of times, can't, don't even imagine the possibility of what participatory schooling might look like. Mm-hmm. And in fact, come to us uh, very suspicious of our intentions. And I was going to say, like, one of, the, one of the primary ethical principles that drive our work and certainly commitments I bring in is the principle of transparency. Mm. And, and transparency and fairness, but we, we can talk about fairness in a bit. But that principle of transparency in this context is, I think, for that reason, very important. This is where I'm kind of drawing the connection. Because the students, when, they, when, when we invite them to join us, when we sort of, you know, interpolate them into this position, uh, they come in very suspicious and, and that transparency of sort of uh, being really open with them about both our intentions as well as the challenges and parameters that shape that. And, and maintaining that transparency is really crucial for for that process of the students even beginning to imagine what a participatory schooling could even look like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, and to begin to open themselves up for that for that experience. Um, I mean, in a sense, we, it, it's it's part of that process of, I can't remember right now who the authors are, but if we transcribe this, we'll figure it out, but um, um, authors that think about participatory methods who make a distinction between projects that have a buy, that that involve buy-in, so mm-hmm. where the participants have to be sort of convinced that this is going to be participatory, or brought into a project, and then they have to sort of buy into the project, versus projects that are I don't remember the phrase that they use, but where it's initiated by the participants, where the participants say, mm-hmm. "I want to do this, come help me," right? Where a community comes to, and we've had experiences like that too, but but they've been uh, fewer. Um, and definitely in schools, you know, it's a buy-in model, right? It's a, it's a buy-in, look, here's what we're offering, here's what we want to do with you, come check us out, come try us out, right? It's not the student saying, we want participatory schooling. It's us saying, here's an opportunity, mm-hmm. give, us, give us a shot, like, try this out. Um, yeah, so, so just thinking about those differences. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think, I mean, there's similarities too, because I can, I, I, um, you know, I say that there's this large demand or um, expectation for participatory approaches in my work, but that's also very top down, mm-hmm. uh, mm. in the sense that. Um, uh, it has become kind of a taken-for-granted assumption within the field itself, and that doesn't always trickle down to the folks who are actually um, experiencing things. So I, I um, definitely have also experienced folks who um, have been quite suspicious, you know, yeah. when I start working with them. Folks who won't even tell me, you know, I'll come into a space and we'll be, I'll be introducing myself and chatting with folks and just hanging out, which I often do at the beginning of any project. And I've had folks be like, I'm not telling you my name. Mm-hmm. You know, and it hasn't been until someone else will come over and, and will say, oh, no, 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 I, you know, I know Sarah, she's cool, this is how I know her. And then folks will be like, okay, I'm still not telling you my name, but I'll talk to you for a little bit, right. you know? Right. Um, and then some of those folks have now been people that I've worked with for years. But folks are very suspicious, and rightly so. Of course. Um, in part because I think because they've been tokenized, mm-hmm. they've been harmed mm-hmm. by this work, they've gotten their expectations, um, uh, uh, or promises have been broken, mm-hmm. you know, and I think mm-hmm. that that's where transparency really comes mm-hmm. in, and, and that for me is also a really fundamental value um, of negotiating uh, what is possible and the limits of what is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and folks are, are similarly quite surprised when they're like, oh no, we're actually you know, when I say to them, so we get to decide together. And they're like, no, we, no, don't. No, right. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, we do. And they're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm like, no, no, right. we we are, right. you know. Or, or when I, um, you know, even something as, as, as simple as, you know, one of the, the last projects that I worked on was uh, worked with three organizations. And we were looking at how folks within each of these sites kind of understood kind of engagement and it was a co-theorizing project and we used photo voice and at the end of the project we decided collectively to create these installations um i had no idea what i was doing because i had not planned for any of these installations to emerge and i remember at all those meetings saying people what are you going to do and they're like well i thought you had an idea and i said i don't i don't know i didn't I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and them kind of just looking at me blankly and being like, so we're really just going to figure it out right now. And I'm like, I have no plan. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember at one point someone said, but you're the researcher. And I said, yeah, so what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I feel like there, there, was a, there was a pivotal shifting. And we'd been working together for many months at this point. But they're like, oh, we really can do whatever we want. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I think that there's... Um, a lot of opportunity there when things shift, but then it also is important to be transparent around when there are limits, mm-hmm. because some of the, the dangers are when you say, well, we can do whatever we want, and then someone, you know, people make contributions or go along with a certain plan, and then like, oh, but not that. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. but not that. Mm-hmm. Oh, but not that. Mm-hmm. And that's when folks right. get their back right. up, right? right. So right. how do you, it's this, it's this careful dance between opening things up for possibility, but also being very transparent along the way right when there are limits Uh, and depending on the size of the group like we've done collaborative budgeting before where I've taken Mm -hmm. out the grants and we've actually plotted things in Mm -hmm. um, alongside dollar signs you know on the wall to kind of attempt to I don't know do this work together and 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 in a way that we're we're all acknowledging the constraints simultaneously, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not kind of an after the after fact, but mm-hmm. we realize together, oh, we want to do this, but we can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's important for 
for the work, but it takes a very long time. This is the thing. Yeah, it It takes an extraordinary long time. Yeah, and time is one of those things that um, when working within schools, um, the time scales of school have such a huge impact on the way that we that we do this work and you know we, we try to push back against it like we, we structure the work that we do with young people in schools we try to use a different time structure so rather than meeting every every day for 50 minutes we meet once a week for four hours which gives us um, a, a lot of flexibility uh, and a lot of sort of you know opportunities for allowing relationships to evolve for people to get mad at each other and and work through that anger mm-hmm. uh, for ideas to really evolve in, in ways that the usual parameters of schools, even even in an hour and a half or a two-hour format, just is not possible. It's, it does, does not work. Uh, but we are still limited by the semester or even the year structure of schooling, the way that marks are done, the flow of... You know, when students are doing final exams, when students have high demands on other aspects of their schooling, when, you know, the breaks and they're like, we're still, and, and all of that pre- presents a set of constraints to what is possible um, that are very different from, you know, being in a situation where there are no strength constraints or, or where or what the community itself decides, you know. Um, so I guess, you know, when I think about that, there's a kind of ethic of responsiveness, right? There's a kind of ethic of responsibility of uh, responding to the flows of how things happen in a space that is that is also really important mm-hmm. for the work and that I think different kinds of institutions um, impose different kinds of time frame parameters that, that end up mediating um, our ability to be responsive to the needs of our community, right? I mean, if we have participants who, for whatever reason, are are unable to attend at various times, right now we're actually dealing with this with because we just started our project uh, two weeks ago. We've had two sessions, and because we usually don't start with the beginning of the semester, we always have issues with en- enrollment and attendance at the beginning. And so on the one hand, we have this time constraint where the, the institution is telling us the students must be present for these many hours in order to receive a credit. And on the other hand, we have this commitment around responsiveness of, mm-hmm. of responding to the needs of young people, to responding to their time commitments, to their work commitments. And so we try to be really flexible for figuring out how do we, on the one hand, be responsive to all the, the complexity of the lives that students are bringing, while at the same time satisfying these requirements um, that, that, this, that the school district is putting on us. And we, we find creative ways to do it. Um, this might be one of those things that are better not described in, yeah. <laughs> in a public interview. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's a challenge. It's yeah. a challenge to live out that ethical commitment yeah. within those constraints. And time is, time is one of those things that yeah. just... I probably I probably didn't think ten years ago. I I could probably imagine it, but I didn't think ten years ago how how much time would become would become one of those dimensions of the work yeah. that would be you know challenging to navigate. Yeah. 
And then how do you, and, and I think there in terms of ethical commitments, like earlier we were talking about transparency, well, flexibility and creativity, right. Right. I actually think are also ethical Absolutely. commitments. Absolutely. Not creativity yeah. in the way that we're, we often kind of think of it, but how do you then, when you have these, these, these challenges, um, often imposed from the institution, right. uh, how do you then navigate accordingly? Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of the YPAR podcast. I hope you learned as much as I did from Sarah and Ruben. Some of the key learnings I'm taking away from their conversation are the importance of relationships in YPAR, about understanding participation as cyclical, about the constraints we face while working in different sectors and spaces and institutions, and being responsive to communities while working in these constraints, which can be a challenge. Tune in for part two, where Sarah and Ruben will continue their conversation. See you then.